All right, guys, welcome back. Now, today's video is going to kind of answer a question that I received from one of my commenters on a video. His name is Justin McKenzie. And what happened was I did a particular video on whether or not a person can lose their salvation. That is, you know, sometimes you hear the phrase once saved, always saved. Now, that's a very harsh uh, way of phrasing it and putting it. But nevertheless, I dealt with that particular issue. And the whole point is, bottom line, if a person is genuinely saved, this individual is saved by the grace of God through what Christ has done for him on the cross, expressing faith in that. That is, as the scriptures teach throughout, by no works of their own. There is nothing that you can do to gain or earn salvation. So therefore, even on the flip side, there's nothing you can do to lose such salvation. Why? Because as the apostle Paul has stated, salvation is the gift of God. And then again, he states in another place, Romans chapter 11 to be exact, he said, and such gifts and callings of God. And remember, salvation is the calling of God. The elect are called of God. Those who are saved are called of God. What did he say? For the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. In other words, they can't be taken back. God does not take them back. What God gives, you keep. He gives it to you forever. So therefore, but anyway, so that was the issue that we were dealing with, with the loss of salvation. And I understand how difficult uh, this subject can be. And then sometimes, too, and I don't want to get into a lot of details on this point, but what it really touches is a principle of pride inside of us. We want to feel that in some way we can gain or earn or be worthy of salvation. A lot of times by the way that we live, by the choices that we make and things of that nature. But I'm not going to rehash all of that. You guys go watch the video. So we want to do that. And then we want to think sometimes that we can maintain or keep our salvation again by the way that we live and things of that nature. Blah, 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 blah. There was nothing that we could do to obtain salvation. Then there's nothing you can do to, to, to keep your salvation. All of these things are a gift from God. Remember what Jesus said in John, I believe it's John chapter six, talking about all that the father gives to me. They will come unto me. And what did he say? I will lose none because this is the will of my father. But we're not going to even hash that either. But the point is, we can deal with scripture after scripture and deal with the fact that Salvation is a gift of God by faith in Christ Jesus alone. This determinative act is done by God the Father. And we can even push it, if you want me to say it this way, we can push it from the foundation of the world. That is, for the world itself was created, but I'm not going in that direction. But let me get to the heart of the video. And so this is what Justin McKenzie uh, wrote in comment to that. And this is what we're going to talk about today. He said, what about the book of Hebrews? That's a book that makes it seem like a believer can lose salvation. Can you please explain that like Hebrews six, four through six, the, the entire passage is Hebrews four, uh, Hebrews six, four through eight. That, that's the that section of that passage. But nevertheless, Hebrews six, four through six. He continues to say, 
I used to believe on once saved, always saved, but I'm currently studying this subject because it's possible for a Christian to backslide. Am I right? And lose salvation. So that's what uh, Justin says. But anyway, Justin, thanks for the question. And I believe that this question is really worthy of a video response. So here we go. All right. Now let's talk about a few things. There are going to be approximately six major things that I'm going to talk about to deal with Justin's question about can a person lose their salvation? And what he's doing is he's looking at Hebrews six verses four. He says four through six. I think we'll read four through eight to get the full context in that section. And he's believing that this section is teaching that a person can lose their salvation. Okay. So let's get into that. Let's look at the scripture and then we'll talk about how we need to come to this understanding of this section. All right. So now let's start here. Hebrews six, four, as he's talking about, uh, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened. And I think that's an issue to notice at one time they had been enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have been made partakers of the Holy spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And so now here is solidly uh, uh, what the text you hear so far is teaching that whatever the spiritual benefits that the writer is talking about. And these are, these are such benefits of salvation. I know what I just said, such benefits of spiritual salvation. The soul is saved from out of hell and destruction now into the presence of God by faith in Christ Jesus. All right. Spiritual salvation. So if this, these acts, these benefits that God has given this individual believer. So now he continues on to say verse number six, and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves son of God and put him to an open shame seven for the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also till receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. Okay. So now here's where I understand his problem is coming. His confusion is in verse number six. And again, guys, I truly sympathize with you in this passage because it's not always easy to see. And even I, at first, I struggled with understanding it until you put all things in proper context. And that's what we're going to try. So, so what his whole point is first number six, falling away. And so what is he talking about when he says falling away? Is he talking about backsliding? And I think that's what Justin's question is. And then he says, to fall away and then, but notice what he says now. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance because in their actions, what they do is crucify Jesus all over again and put into an open shame. Okay, so now here's what you have to be careful about your interpretation in this point. If a person does fall away and if you hold to the position that this person does indeed fall away in the sense of backsliding, notice what the verse continues to say. You have to be very careful here. He continues to say, 
It is impossible to renew them again to repentance. So if you're going to hold to the context that falling away means to backslide, you have lost your salvation to, to hold that particular interpretation. It also means there is no possible way to return to Jesus again and repent and be saved. In other words, once you backslide once, you are lost forever. You can never go to God and say, Lord, okay, I, I messed up. I backslid. Okay. Will you please forgive me? Because notice if you hold to that interpretation, the reading of it, this, uh, and, and I'm meaning, how, but the simplistic reading of it would say repentance to renewal re restoration is impossible. If the falling away means a spiritual falling away. And if this same spiritual falling away is the idea, that means loss of salvation. That's what we mean by spiritual. Okay. If that is the case, such an individual can never be saved again. And that's why the verse is so key. You cannot renew them again to repentance. And then he says, why? Because in this action, what you're doing is, and we're going to try to explain what that action really is. You, the person who acts in this way, we'll explain what this way is, is crucifying Jesus all over again. And the shame that Jesus went through on the cross and in his, and in his humiliation, you're sending the Lord through all of these things all over again. Okay. And then he says in verses number seven and eight, the whole point of that is he, he gives an agricultural example for the ground that drinks in the rain. And if it produces fruit, good, it is blessed. If it doesn't produce its fruit, it is, is near unto cursing. His whole point is this. He is giving an, an example to help people understand. Remember, these are people in an agricultural society and they can understand these examples. He says, doesn't it make sense? If you got the ground receiving the abundance of rain at its proper time, what is the normal expectation of these benefits? The normal expectation is the fruit of the ground to, to bear fruit, to bear fruit in its proper season. He said, but what happens if all of these things were given, the natural rains and the tilling of the ground and everything that was done, it's kind of like Isaiah chapter five, if everything that was done for the ground and it still did not produce, he said, then it becomes a worthless vine and is only good to be burned up and cast away. And in other words, it was done for nothing. And this is what he's saying in the whole of the passage in that to such a person, to such a person who receives all of these spiritual benefits by, because of Christ through the preaching of the gospel, they believe these things. He said, but then when the time comes and after receiving all of these spiritual benefits from God concerning Jesus, the Messiah, and then such a person turns their back on Jesus as the Messiah, he says, then such an individual becomes worthy of judgment. Okay. So now let's move to our next point. So the question becomes, what did he mean to see the, the, the essence of the question by falling away? Was it falling away in a spiritual sense with respect to backsliding? All right. Now, in order to understand that we have to remember, you never take a scripture out of his context. 
There is the immediate context. That's what we just did dealt with so far. The immediate context, those close passages, group of passages surrounding that particular verse. You always must interpret it within context as well as the global context, the overall context, namely the context of the writer or the context of that global passage, you know? Okay. And I don't want to get into all of that, but to, to make a long story short, the context for this passage falls within the global context, overall context of the book of Hebrews. What is the, what is the context of the book of Hebrews? The writer is writing and it is very particular. You have to understand the particular nature of these things. Okay. The writer is a Jewish writer writing to Jewish people. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews, which means Jew. Okay. Writing to Jewish peoples. These are Jewish peoples who are believers in Jesus as the Messiah. That's the whole point. Believers that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Now, upon believing that, of course, they receive all of these wonderful benefits. Remember, they were just talking about the spiritual benefits, the ground that takes in the rain. And then he talks about who receive of the good word to come and things of that nature, the power of God and, and taste of the eternal eternity. But you believe these people believe that about Jesus. Therefore, having faith in Jesus as Messiah, what does that do? That saves an individual. That is spiritual salvation. The person is no longer going to hell. You are going to heaven. All right. But we already know what happened during the time of Jesus, during the time of the apostles as well. Those who began to believe in Jesus were, were ostracized by the Jewish community. Jesus himself was hated by the religious leaders and things of that nature. You got it. And so therefore, remember, after the, the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus, what did the Jewish leaders and the people started doing to the believers in Jesus? They began to persecute them, ostracize them. They expelled them from the synagogues. They, they kept them from the temple worship and they ostracized them from the community of Jewish people. And for this, for Jews, this was like a death sentence to be ostracized from the Jewish community. They made them suffer. They took their property. They beat them. All the, you remember all of these things, even that were enumerated in the book of Acts. Okay. So the point is those who believed in Jesus suffered. And I'm talking about Jews. They suffered greatly. All right. And so now the, the suffering had become great upon these believers that the writer of Hebrews is talking to and that they had a particular idea. And this is what the idea was. This is what the problem was. You have to identify the problem with the whole of the book, because why? The whole point of Hebrews is teaching concerning about Jesus is that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the Aaronic priesthood. He's his sacrifice is a better and a greater sacrifice. He is a better priest than Aaron himself. You know, all of these things. So therefore there is no need of turning back to the lesser things. And that's the whole point. 
The lesser things was the was Judaism, the system of sacrificial worship, returning back to the temple in order to be accepted by the priests and the Jewish communities who were not believing in Jesus. Okay. But they wanted to do these things, return back. And this is what the point was. They wanted to get out of all of this suffering. And this is why the, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the sufferings. And notice it even says, you have not resisted uh, uh, unto blood suffering at this point. You know, so, so the point, they wanted to stop suffering because of Jesus. So what they said they would do is this. We are going to renounce Jesus. And this is what this section is starting to deal with here. And the writer is dealing with as a whole in the book. They are going to renounce Jesus for the moment. Let some of this hostility die down. And once the hostility dies down, they're going to take Christ back again. Okay. We're going to, in other words, we're going to get saved again. You got it now. So what we're going to do is kind of says, lay Jesus to the side. We're going to denounce him. And then once it cools off, we're going to, Take Jesus again. OK. And so here is directly as the writer begins to deal with this particular issue. All right. Can you actually think about what I'm about to say now? Lay your salvation down. Can you give your salvation up? And remember the arguments that I just made earlier concerning how you attained your salvation in the first place. A gift of God by the grace of God. What is Paul say? Ephesians chapter 2 eight, for by grace. Grace, gift, unmerited favor, not what you do. You have been saved. It is the gift of God, not of works, not something you did. You didn't do anything for it. And therefore you don't do anything to get rid of it. But they're thinking we want to do it so that we can come out of all of this persecution. Okay. So that's number one, understanding the context of what's going on in the book of Hebrews as a whole, what was in the mind of those people, what they were intending to do. All right. What they were intending to do, get unsaved, let things cool off, get back saved again. All right. And this is what the writer's addressing here. And then also to the point of the writer in Christ and salvation, him being better than. So that's point number one, understand the book of Hebrews. Let's go a little bit further. We need to understand how the word repentance is used. Okay. Repentance does not always mean a repentance unto salvation of the soul, unto a spiritual salvation. Repentance, and notice we did with verse number, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Okay. Repentance for the most part literally means a change of mind, a change of mind that results in something, a change of mind. And notice what I said, guys, a change of mind that results in something. Okay. And so notice what they are trying to do. They are trying to change their mind about Jesus in the first place. Why? To escape the persecution. And then they were going to, once the persecution dies down, change their mind again and re readopt re receive Jesus again. You got it. And so what the writer is saying again for clarity, and I'm hitting the points directly on the money there are. And, and, and I'm, let me, let me just be a little premature because it's hard for me to avoid it. Almost. There are some things you cannot change your mind about. Okay. And that's what his whole point is. It is impossible to be renewed to repentance, a change of mind. There are some things you cannot change your mind. 
In other words, there are some things you cannot change your mind that would result in a different outcome that would result in a different outcome. Now we're going to talk about all of that as we work our way through this explanation. So that's one thing you need to understand. Number two, what it means by repentance, the change of mind. It does not always mean repent to believe in Jesus and be saved. Okay. It simply means to change your mind to, to, to be more specific. This is literally what Jesus was saying. Okay. When Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What he was literally saying to the Jewish people was change your mind and what you're thinking about me, change your mind, change your mind. What? I am indeed the Messiah, King of the Jews, change your mind and believe the gospel. What gospel? that Jesus is Messiah, King of the Jews. Change your mind and believe this, because what was the problem? The Jewish people as a whole, as a nation collectively, they did not believe it. You see, they needed to do what? Change their mind. Now we understand the result would be what? The result would be salvation for them in the spiritual sense, but also the result would be the reestablishment of the nation of Israel to power, to dominate. Remember now, they receive Jesus as Messiah. He becomes king. When he becomes king, he reigns over Israel. He destroys all of their enemies. He reigns over all the world. He fulfills that which is spoken in the book of Daniel and the time of Gentiles come to an end. But nevertheless, just remember those things, okay? Now let's go to point number three. We need to understand how salvation is being used, okay? Because this is some, the problem here, falling away. Is it dealing with the issue of salvation? Okay, salvation, soteria, that's the word in Greek, has two meanings. And the meaning must always be understood. Why was that magical phrase, guys? In context. So the meaning of salvation is there is a salvation that deals with spiritual salvation. And when we talk about spiritual salvation, that is that a person will be saved, saved from from death unto from death going to hell, loss of loss of, of spiritual life being eternally separated from God. OK, that's spiritual salvation. And now you are now in the presence of God by faith. In, I believe in Jesus. And so therefore I am saved and I'm going to be with God forever and ever. All right. Spiritual salvation. But soteria also means deliverance in, in the sense of physical salvation. That is not the loss of life. And you'll see that. Let me give you some examples uh, uh, to understand that in Luke one and 71, remember Zechariah and I'm going to try to make this short guys because it can get too long. But remember Zechariah, the uh, father of John the Baptist. Remember that whole scenario? Angel came to John when John was doing his service as a priest in the temple. And, and, and when the priest came and told him he's going to have a son, John didn't believe it, blah, 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 blah. But later on, what the angel said was true. John did have a son. And when John uh, uh, wrote that his name would be called John, all of a sudden his tongue was loosed and John began to prophesy. And, 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 and to praise God. And in that praise to God, John said how God had raised up a horn. That is Jesus, the Messiah, who will be who grant deliverance for his people, Israel. This word deliverance is the same word. Soteria salvation. And John and Zechariah is using this in the sense of physical life. 
Second example, remember Stephen when he was when Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts chapter seven and Stephen also used the same term. I believe it's seven in verse twenty five talked about how they did not understand how God was through Moses granting deliverance. So to his people, he's not talking about spiritual salvation, the saving of a personal individual soul. He was talking about saving of their lives from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. So that's the next thing. Point number three, understand that when we talk about salvation, it always must be understood in context because this whole idea of falling away in Hebrews chapter six. Salvation, the salvation can mean spiritual deliverance unto salvation or physical deliverance that deals with the preservation of life. You don't physically die. All right. And so the point that I'm going to stress and build and show you guys here is what the writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter six. He is not dealing with spiritual life, spiritual salvation. So therefore he's not talking about the loss of salvation, the loss of your spiritual life. The writer here is dealing with physical life and physical salvation. He's literally talking about dying, you dying in the flesh as a means of God's judgment for something that you did and, and the whole context. So I want to keep you guys in mystery. The whole context of the something that you did. Remember the context of Hebrews? You said to Jesus, you don't know him. You laid your salvation to the side. You rejected Jesus after having received Jesus. The response of God, and this is all throughout the book of Hebrews, the response of God. Remember when he talked about this and all the examples that the writer of Hebrews gives concerning the judgment of God. And he talks about that. He said, we know that those who refused Moses died by two or three witnesses. Notice what he always talks about when he deals with the judgment. He never talks about the spiritual judgments. That is loss of these people's salvation. He always makes the example of the loss of life because notice we can go on and on and on. Notice what happened. We saw the judgment of God that came upon Moses and Aaron themselves. Numbers chapter 20. Remember that? What was the judgment of God for their acts of unbelief in striking the rock? God said to Moses and Aaron, you will die. Aaron died and Moses died according to the judgment of God. But guess what? Did they lose their salvation? Are you saying to me, Moses lost his salvation in that? No, he lost his physical life. That was the judgment that God pronounced upon him. But we're going to further that point even more so. Okay. So that's how you need to hone this thing. The falling away. Is he dealing with a spiritual or is he dealing with something that results in a physical judgment? I submit to you. It is physical judgment as he talks about all throughout the book. But anyway, let me go on to the fourth point. The background. Here's the background that you need to understand. We are dealing with the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. That is the prophecy of Jesus. Remember it. Okay. As a matter of fact, I tell you what we do. Let's just simply go to Luke chapter 21. And I want to go uh, explicitly to verse number 20. All right. And this is what has happened. Okay. S to set the background. Remember now, Jesus comes to Israel, to the Jewish people. 
at the set time appointed by God. He performs signs and wonders. I don't like to say miracles. Miracles seems like a gimmick of some sort. No, he performs signs and wonders. What's the point of a sign? A sign is a miraculous work that has a message attached to it. And when Jesus did this miraculous work, the message was believe that I am who I say that I am. Who is he claiming himself to be? Both the Messiah and God, even God. Remember when they even wanted to stone him, Jesus said, if you don't believe me for my words, believe me for my works, the things, the miraculous things that I have done. But nevertheless, what happened? And although he did, what does the scripture say? So many signs before them, yet they did not believe him. Believe what? He was their king, he was their Messiah. So therefore, having rejected Jesus as a Messiah, the nation would suffer judgment. And this is the prophecy of Jesus because of their ultimate rejection of him. Such rejection that ends up in his crucifixion on the cross. OK, so this is why we go to Luke 21 and 20. So Jesus tells us about he prophesies of the destruction of judgment it happened in 70 AD under Titus by the Romans the destruction. Here's the prophecy. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is now. No, Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city must leave. Those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance. God's vengeance because of what they did to Jesus so that all things which are written will be Fulfill. So he continues on to verse number 20. But the point is, uh, he talks about Jerusalem being surrounded by armies. This will be the sign that judgment is coming to the nation and that his disciples, his people, those who believe in him, don't try to fight for Jerusalem. Run for your life. Escape the cities into the mountains. But whatever you do, leave Jerusalem because Jerusalem's judgment is now. And if you don't leave Jerusalem, you will die. Let me say that again. If you do not leave Jerusalem, you will die in this judgment from God. So let me just finish the point. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. There will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. They will watch fall by the edge of the sword. That's death. They will be led captive into all nations. And what will happen to Jerusalem? It will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles, the Romans, 70 AD. Until when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So the prophecy of Jesus is the destruction of Jerusalem because of their rejection of him. You can see the same thing when Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 23, when he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, killed those who are sent to you. How many times have I wanted to gather you like a chicken, gather her baby hens unto myself? I wanted to gather you to protect you, to provide for you as your Messiah, as your king. But what did you do? You rejected me as your Messiah and your king. You would not let me. What is the end result to all of these things? I leave your house unto you desolate, destroyed the destruction of Jerusalem, 70 AD, Luke 21. You got it now? So that's the point. Those unbelievers involved in the 70 AD, they will die the death. And God and Jesus is speaking to his people in Luke chapter 21, saying to them, you listen to me. When you see these armies, get the heck 
out of there because it's now time for the judgment and you don't want to be left in Jerusalem because you will suffer death. You got it now? So now that's another point. So keep all of these things, keep juggling all of these balls in the air and hopefully the Lord will say the same. We'll put it together for you at the end. All right. So that's the next thing. So that's the background. The destruction of 70 AD is in mind. So that's in the, in the writer of Hebrews mind as he's writing to these Jewish people who are thinking about dropping Jesus and picking him back up again, so to speak. Okay. All right. So now what is the problem? This is our next point. What is the problem? The problem is dealing with an issue of a principle of the principle of what is called no return. The principle of no return simply means this, whether a Nate whether as a nation, okay, a nation, or as an individual, there are things that you can do in the mind of God and the judgment that God has decreed for such a thing. God won't change his mind. Even if you repent, notice, notice the judgment, you can do certain things and God won't change his mind because for what you did, it railed, it, it, it made God angry to such a degree that God, that he says, this would be the punishment that I'm going to give to you. And no matter how much you repent, no matter how much you repent, whether it's the nation or whether it's an individual, God will not change his mind, even though he might forgive you. You just have reached a point of no return. All right. So in dealing with that, there are, there, uh, there are three examples I can give you very quickly, but let me give you these two noted examples. And because they are so long, and I know this video is already going long enough, but let me give you the examples. Numbers chapter 14. All right. So let's sum it up. Remember Moses brought children of Israel out of Egypt through power uh, the hand of God, right? He brought them up to the mountain and things of that nature. The whole point was he brought them out of Egypt that he might lead them into the promised land. When we get into Numbers 14, remember, that's when Moses chose out 12 spies, 12 men of Israel, 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan to bring back a report of the land and the condition of the land, the people of the land, a strategic report of the land. When the spies came into the land of Egypt, they saw the land of Canaan. They saw the land was indeed fruitful, but they saw all of the peoples in the land of Canaan, that they were great people. So the spies came back and they were afraid. And so they gave a bad report to the people. They gave a bad report to Moses and they also spread this bad negative report to the people saying the land indeed flows with milk and honey. He said, but the people, they are like the Anakim. They're like giants and we are like grasshoppers. So they exaggerated the point and their whole time, they discouraged the people saying the point is we cannot take the land we can't take it and conquer it. But the point is they were never going to conquer the land in the first place. They didn't conquer Egypt to get out of Egypt. God conquered Egypt and brought them out of Egypt. So therefore it would be God who would conquer the Canaanites and bring them into the land. God only required one thing from them, faith, believe in God, trust in God. And this was the argument of Joshua and Caleb. Remember the two good spies. They said, if we trust in God, indeed, God, if, if, just keep faith in God and God's going to bring us into the promised land. But what did the people do? What did the spies do? They discouraged the people and all night long, the people murmured over these things. They thought about these things. 
And so they got up the next time, next day, and they determined for themselves, they're going to get a new leader. They're going to return back to Egypt. And all of a sudden the people started getting angry and upset. They wanted to kill, to stone, kill Moses and Aaron. And he ended up going back to Egypt. And that's when the glory, the Shekinah glory of God appeared. And that's what leads us to this particular section. Okay. So I said all of that to say, let's go in particular to verse number 11. Now, guys, I'm going to kind of have to read fast because it's so narrative. So what is the judgment of God to this people? The whole point that I'm dealing with, you can do things and reach a point of no return. The Lord said to Moses, how long would this people spurn me? How long would they not believe in me despite all the signs which I have performed in their men? See what it is? Believe in God. That's the only thing he required. It was God who had did all these things in the first place. Notice what God says. His judgment is to be, be unto the people. I will smite them. He going to hit them with pestilence. And guess what? I'm going to dispossess them. And I will make, make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. God simply said, I'm going to kill them all. That's my judgment. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. So notice Moses began then to mediate. He intercede for the people. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it. For by your strength, you brought the people up on the ground. And, and so Moses began to appeal to God on the basis of his great name. And how if God killed all them folk like that at one time in the wilderness, then God's name is going to get messed up among them Gentiles who said, well, he brought them out there to kill them because he wasn't able to do what he said. And so them, and so Moses, if you'll let me say it this way, he convinced God not to bring ultimate judgment and destroy all of the nation. And so that's what he did. And so now verse number 19, let's just go on to there. Moses continues to say, notice what he says. Now it's important guys. Pardon. I pray the iniquity of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. What did Moses ask God to do? Pardon their iniquity. What did he remind them? Because you have constantly forgiven them ever since they have left the land of Egypt. And so I'm asking you, Lord, forgive them now. Remember what I just said, guys. Point of no return. Even though God forgives you, he still won't change his mind about judging you. You're forgiven. All right. The sins. So if you're forgiven, what does that mean? You still saved. You still saved. But guess what? Whatever punishment he's going to give you, he's going to give it to you. Let's keep reading. So the Lord said, he talks to Moses. I have pardoned them according to your word. Gotcha. I forgive them. You wanted me to forgive them as far as their sins are concerned? Done. But now notice what God continues to say. But indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely, surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these 10 times. 10 times. Remember, I kept telling you, you can keep on with God and God gets sick and tired of you and say, you know what? I'm just going to get you. I'll forgive you, but I'm going to still get you. 10 times and have not listened to my voice. Notice what God says. Shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of them who spurned me see it with the exception of Caleb. So what did God say? You wanted me to forgive them. You wanted me to pardon their iniquity and sin. Done. I have done it. He said, but guess what, though? Even though I have forgiven them, that still is not going to remove the judgment that I have. And guess what my judgment is for them? Death. 
death they will not see. And we know as we continue on in Numbers chapter 14, what happened? God continues on to tell Moses to tell these people, all of you who have rebelled against me from the ages, this is the judgment of God for the nation of Israel. This is the judgment from the ages of 20 years and up, 20 years and up, you all will fall in this wilderness in the space of 40 years. All of y'all going to die. You're not know that he didn't say you're going to lose your salvation. He didn't say that. He said you will have physical death. You got it now. And this is the judgment of God. The whole point is, again, bringing all of these things together like a beautiful soup point of no return. The point that has been talked about in Hebrews chapter six is this falling away, this renewing and repentance. Is this about spiritual or physical? Again, I submit to you, it is physical death. But notice again, now here's the important thing. Let's see the response of the people because remember the point of no return, point of no return, point of no return. Remember it was because of the people's rebellion, the refusal to go into the land that God brought this judgment upon them, right? But as we continue on in the book of Numbers, what happened? So the people, after Moses gave them that message, the people mourned greatly. Now let's go to verse number 39. When Moses spoke the words to all the sons of Israel, the people mourned greatly. When Moses told them what God said, the judgment of God, that they're going to die in the wilderness because of what they did, they got sad and they repented. Notice what I said. In the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country saying, notice, here we are. We have indeed sinned, but we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. But Moses said, why then are you transgressing the commandment of the Lord when it will not succeed? What did the people say? Okay, watch this. You got to get, you got to catch it. When, when Moses told them, you're going to die because you didn't do what God told you to do. When he sent those spies in, you're going to die. The people said, oh my God, we messed up. I tell you what, we're sorry for what we did. You know what we're going to do? We're going to get ourselves together. And what we should have done the first time, we're going to do that now. We're going to get it together. So Lord, we have transgressed against you, but now here we are. We're going to do it right. And when the people had gathered themselves as armies to go up to Canaan to attack Canaan like they should have done the first time when the spies, Joshua and Caleb, told them we can do it. Now they're trying to do it after God has given his judgment. Notice what Moses said. What are you doing? You are further transgressing God. Why? He has already given a judgment to which he ain't going to change his mind. And so therefore this endeavor in which you guys are trying to do now, trying to go back to see Hebrews again, Hebrews again, it is impossible to be renewed again unto repentance. You want to go back now and make it right again. You want to make it right because if you're going to get it straight again. It won't succeed. The judgment will remain. And therefore, if you read on the rest of the text, and we're not going to read the rest of it. You can read it for yourself. They did. They still disobeyed Moses. They, they gathered themselves together and went and tried to attack some of the cities of the Canaanites. And they got beat down and ran down. And ultimately what happened, that generation who came out of Egypt, that whole generation died in the wilderness with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, just like the Lord said. What is the point? They had reached a point of no return. Now, very quickly, let me give you my second example. And it's found in Jeremiah chapter 15. Whole point. After Israel had become a nation, we know we're going to get into all of the history and all of that and make it too long. But the point is Judah 
named Judah and Jerusalem and her kings constantly, consistently, they would not obey God. They would have a few good kings, but for the most part, they would disobey God. But God would be patient. He would warn them. He would send prophets, warn them and send prophets. Many of the prophets, they would kill. They were stoned and things of that nature. Oh my, they mistreated the prophets. They were mistreated the servants of God. God got to a point where he was angry and sick and tired of Jerusalem. And then there came a certain king by the name of Manasseh. He is the son of Hezekiah. And I don't have time to go into all of this history, guys. But nevertheless, this is the point. And the son of, and the whole name Manasseh means to forget. And that's exactly, remember, Hezekiah was a good king. He was a king that loved the Lord. Manasseh, his son, was a wicked king. He was a king who did not love God. And Manasseh served 55 years. He came to power when he was 12 years of age. And everything that his father Hezekiah had done in the worship of the true God, Manasseh tore it down. He erected even idol temples within the temple compound itself. He shut the temple gates. He raised Oh my, my God, Manasseh had caused the nation to sin. It was Manasseh, according to tradition, who killed the prophet Isaiah. So Manasseh was a very wicked king. Amazing thing about Manasseh, but I'll tell you at the end. Uh, at the very end of Manasseh, God judged Manasseh. Manasseh ended up being in prison. And at the very end of his life, at the end of Manasseh's life, that joker got saved. He came back to God and God set him back on the throne and he tried to undo some of the mess that he had done. But the point is this, he had done so much. Now let's go to Jeremiah 15 and one. Okay, we can't do a lot of it. But once again, then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel, and when he talks about Moses and Samuel, these were the great intercessors of the nation. Moses would constantly intercede for the nation. Samuel would constantly intercede for the nation. And so the whole idea is to intercede, even if the best, the greatest intercessors that God had ever had stood before me, my heart would not be with his people. See, point of no return, point of no return. I will not change my mind. Send them away from my presence and let them go. And it shall be when they say to you, oh, God ain't going to change his mind. He said, what shall we do? And they should say, what shall we go? Then you to tell them, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Lord said you shall go. Those destined to death, to death. Destined to the sword, the sword. Destined for famine, famine. Destined for captivity, captivity. No, all of this is physical death. And it is the judgment because of their rejection of God as well as the prophet. You see it now? But notice the point is physical death. Again, verse number three, I will appoint over them four kinds of doom, declares the Lord. Sword to slay, dogs to drag off, birds of the sky, beasts of the earth, defiled. No, physical death again. Death. And we know this is about Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, 586 BC. But nevertheless, verse number four, watch what it says. I will make them an object of horror among the kingdoms of the earth. Why? Because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. See that I can talk on that. Under Manasseh, they reached a point of no return. When God got sick and tired and he said, I don't care if Moses, Samuel, if they tried to repent. That's why this is so beautiful. It's so beautiful because this is through the prophecy of whom? Jeremiah. What is Jeremiah called? The last hour prophet. Why is he called the last hour prophet? He is the last hour because right before the great destruction of Jerusalem, uh, 586 BC, the destruction of the temple, considered some of the great, remember the destruction of the temple were the greatest destructions of all. The destruction of the temple, 586 BC, the destruction of the temple, 70 AD, the greatest destructions of all for Jerusalem the great scattering of the Jewish people. But notice the point of God. 
They had reached the point of no return. Why? Because of what Manasseh did. The joker who did a whole heap of stuff and turned out and got saved at the end. But it was too late. They reached a point of no return. And we can even continue that same example with Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 12. He did all of the miracles before, but nevertheless, the people wouldn't make up their mind until finally what happened. They bring this man who was dumb and deaf, who couldn't hear, that was demon possessed. And Jesus cast out the demon. And what did they do? They said Jesus cast out the demon because Jesus himself had a demon in him. He did it by the power of the demon. And when they did that, Matthew chapter 12 becomes pivotal. It is the point of no return. You got it? Now the judgment of Israel was sealed. The rejection of Jesus as king and Messiah was done. Jesus removed the offer of being their king. He would not be their king anymore. And now the nation would ultimately face judgment. You got it now? They reached a point of no return. Now let's deal with the final essence. Let's bring it all back around here. Let's bring these points back. The whole idea for the teaching of the book of Hebrews. You got these Jewish people because of person Persecution, they want to lay their salvation down, lay Jesus down. When the persecution subsides, they want to get saved again. So they want to, so they're going to fall away in the sense, but it's not the spiritual falling away. It is the falling away of faith in Jesus and saying, I'm going to reject Jesus. I'm going to get back saved again. This falling away leads to the judgment of death, physical death. Final point. So with these examples found in numbers, found in Jeremiah, found in Matthew chapter 12. When the writer of Hebrews begins to speak, what he is giving them is an example from their own history. What is the history? There are certain things that you can do that will bring the judgment of God, that even if you repent, the judgment of God will not be changed. So now let's bring this back to what Jesus was trying to tell them in Luke 21. Jesus said they rejected me. That is the Jewish people as a whole because of their rejection of me. Luke 21. Remember what we said, the nation of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, they will be destroyed. Physical death. Remember, that's what Jesus kept talking about. Death, death, death. Same thing as all the rest of them with Moses in numbers. Death, death, death. Same thing, Jeremiah. Death, death, death. And same thing now with Jesus. Death. Physical, not spiritual death. Physical death. You got it? So they will die physically because of their rejection of me. But I say unto you, my people, here is a benefit that I will give you. I will give you the benefit of knowledge. I will give you the benefit of prophecy that when you see these armies surrounding Jerusalem, run so that your physical life may be preserved. You got it? So now all of a sudden, let's fast forward now into Hebrews. But now all of a sudden, what these people want to do, they want to reject Jesus so that they can come out of the hotness of the persecution. And so now in rejecting Jesus, what the writer warns them is this. Do you remember that benefit that our Lord gave you? It is the benefit of preserving of your life your physical life, not your salvation, not your soul from hell, but from your bodies being killed by the Romans in the 70 AD judgment that will come. Remember what he said? But if you turn your back on Jesus, if you publicly reject Jesus and put him to an open shame, it is as if you are causing him to be crucified all over again. And if you do that, 
You will not be able to change your mind and go back to Jesus and escape the judgment. Notice I didn't say and be saved and notice the term, the idea of spiritual salvation never comes from the writer here. You will not be able to be renewed unto repentance. Numbers 14. We're sorry for what we did. Now, Give us that blessing that you promised us again. Jeremiah 15. We're sorry that I don't care if Moses and, and, and Samuel and there's no, no, no more, no more blessing of life, physical life. What is going to happen? Jeremiah 15. Die, 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 die. Now go to Jesus. Luke 21. What's going to happen to the people in Jerusalem? Die, 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 die. Now go again. There is no repentance. If you reject Jesus. You will die in the judgment that Jesus prophesied. And no matter how much at some time in the future, you may want to change your mind by this act of rebellion. You reached a point of no return. The, the judgment of God will be sure to you and you will die in this judgment. You won't lose your salvation. God ain't talking about the loss of salvation. He is talking about the loss of life. And from this, you can't change your mind. You will die along with the unbelievers in Jerusalem. So now that ends. Thank you for bearing with me in that long teaching. I didn't intend for it to be that long, guys. But in dealing with the point, Hebrews 6, as Justin said, Justin McKenzie said, is this talking about uh, loss of salvation? The answer comes to be when you bring everything into context. No, it's not talking about the loss of salvation. It is talking about the loss of physical life, physical life because a believer has publicly renounced Jesus. Thanks for joining me on that one, guys. Send me some more questions. And if I think they're worth of a great video, we'll make it again. Thanks, Justin. See you guys next time.